0: Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about based phrases. and a meaty middle about when to leave the word that out of your sentences. Let's get started. A few years ago, I ran an episode about how I was hearing a lot of speakers saying, based off instead of based on. The cheerful example I used was, I believe we're all doomed based off what I saw last night, instead of, I believe we're all doomed based on what I saw last night. In that episode, I said that the usage really took off in the 1990s, although based on is still in the majority. Well, now I have some further information about based-off, and an interesting parallel with another construction involving the word based. First, some more specific numbers for based-on. A 2013 post by Anne Curzan in the Chronicle of Higher Education Lingua Franca blog compared based on with based off of in the Google Ngram viewer, and found that in the year 2000, based on outnumbered based off of by a ratio of 100,000 to 1, but that by 2008 the ratio had decreased to just 10,000 to 1. A search of the corpus of contemporary English, also called COCA, has different numbers but the same trend. In the early 1990s, based on outnumbered based off by almost 13,000 to 1. But in the years from 2010 through 2015, it lost ground and outnumbered based off by only about 1,000 to 1. So, just as I said in the earlier episode, based off is gaining on based on, but is still very much in the minority. It also turns out that based off is not the only new variation of a construction involving based. In fact, there's an older variation whose trajectory based off seems to be following. It's the phrase, based out of, which has been edging into the territory of based in. For example, a sentence like, Grammar Girl is based in Reno, Nevada, might be phrased by some speakers as Grammar Girl is based out of Reno, Nevada, Coca has the ratio of based in to based out of at about 230 to 1 in the first decade of this century, but since 2010, based out of has been gaining ground. The ratio of based in to based out of is now only around 100 to 1. Useful as Coca is, this corpus only goes back to 1990. To look further back, you need a different corpus, and here the Google Ngram viewer comes in handy again. If you search it for based out of, you'll see that this expression has the same slow start that we get with based off of, then the same steep rise, but instead of starting in the 1990s, it started in the 1960s. Like based off of, based out of has continued to rise in usage, but with its head start, based out of is much more frequent than based off of these days. If you search Google Ngrams for both expressions, you can see their lines on the graph following the same basic path, but separated like two lines on a contour map. I'll put the image on the transcript of this podcast at quickanddirtytips.com. So why did based in and based on develop these based out of and based off of variants? The earliest uses of based-out-of suggest a situation like this one, described on the website Stack Exchange English Language and Usage, where visitors ask and answer questions about English grammar and usage. In response to one question about based-out-of, a user called P. Henry writes, quote, based-out-of often suggests that the subject maintains a headquarters— or home office in a given location, but spends a majority or other significant amount of time working in other locations. Based in suggests that the subject works in the given location most of the time. Unquote. Another user named Keith S. points out that this can often be the case with military units. He writes, quote, based out of is a common term to refer to the home base of a military unit. The 101st Airborne is based out of Fort Campbell, Kentucky, but they're currently getting it done in Afghanistan. We don't usually say based in because, unfortunately, soldiers don't get to wake up in bed next to their spouses, have a nice breakfast, and then commute to war, Since then, newer speakers may have simply generalized that based out of was the way to go, without considering the nuances of how much time a person or company spends at their base or maybe something larger is going on. Ever since the publication of the book Metaphors We Live By by George Lakoff and Mark Johnson in 1980, it's been recognized more and more that language is built, to a staggering extent, on metaphors that we don't even realize are metaphors anymore. Using the word based makes use of what Lakoff and Johnson call an orientational metaphor. When we say based on or based in— we're thinking of a base as a place of centrality. But if you think of a base instead as a starting point from which you can explore new directions, then saying based off and based out of could be just a reflection of this shifted metaphor. Be careful, though. Based out of is still the minority variant, and a third-stack exchange user offers a cautionary tale when dealing with world Englishes. Michael described a situation in which foreign readers thought that when a report said a company was based out of a country, that it meant outside of the country, as in not in that country, and the readers made decisions based on that misunderstanding that led to them having to pay millions of dollars in U.S. taxes. Ouch. So, for now, based on and based in are still the safer and preferred variants. I'm curious, though, if we're seeing a new metaphor shift taking place, then we can predict that speakers who prefer based off will also prefer based out of and vice versa. Speakers who like both based off and based in, or both based on and based out of, should be rare. Which forms do you prefer? Do you tend to use based as a metaphor of centrality or as a metaphor of reaching out from the center? I'll put a poll at the bottom of this article, but know that based on is still considered the more proper English phrase compared to based off. That segment was written by Neil Whitman, who blogs at literalminded.wordpress.com. You can also find him on Twitter as LiteralMinded. And now, we'll end 2017 with a topic that people ask about throughout the year, every year when should you omit the subordinating conjunction that? For example, should you write, Squiggly said that it was Ardvark's birthday? Or just, Squiggly said it was Ardvark's birthday? For this sentence, both ways are perfectly grammatical, but if you're following a principle of omitting needless words, you'd want to leave out the that. Watch out, though. Although that is optional in this example, you can't assume it's optional wherever you see it. Sometimes it's mandatory, and even when it's optional, it's sometimes still a good idea to keep it. Leaving that out sounds best with the most common verbs of speech or thought, such as say, think, know, claim, hear, or believe. It saves a word, and it's how people talk, too. Linguists call these verbs bridge verbs. For example, you might say, I hear squiggly throws great New Year's parties, instead of I hear that squiggly throws great New Year's parties. Non-bridge verbs tend to be verbs that carry extra meaning beyond simply the idea of saying or thinking something, and they don't sound as good when you omit the word that. For example, whisper is a non-bridge verb and doesn't mean just to say something. It means to say it in a particular way. It sounds odd to say, he whispered he wanted another root beer, instead of, he whispered that he wanted another root beer. Not crashingly bad, just a little off. Newspapers are often guilty of ignoring the difference between bridge verbs and non-bridge verbs and deleting a that after verbs where it would sound better to leave it in. Here are a couple of examples that I adapted from the newspaper section of Coca, which we mentioned in the last segment. The department confirmed there were some victims. Officials acknowledge they are hampered by a lack of information. Now, to my ear, both of these sentences are a bit off and would have sounded better with a that after the verbs confirm and acknowledge. The department confirmed that there were some victims. Officials acknowledge that they are hampered by a lack of information. Sometimes, omitting a that after a non-bridge verb goes beyond being slightly awkward and can actually be confusing. Here's an example from Brian Garner's book Modern American Usage. Son acknowledges being a member of a minority may have helped him turn his eyes abroad early. The trouble here is that acknowledge can be a transitive verb, so when a noun phrase comes after it, such as being a member of a minority— The reader might just take it as a direct object. Sun acknowledges being a member of a minority. But whoops, the sentence keeps going, and the reader has to go back and reparse it. Garner calls this a miscue. Sentences that produce miscues like this are called garden path sentences. We talked about garden path sentences in a past episode on Christmas Carols. What about that after a noun? As with verbs, there are a few nouns that let you get away with omitting that. Other nouns sound odd if you do it, and some nouns are downright confusing if you try deleting a that after them. Some nouns that tolerate that omission pretty well include possibility and feeling, as in, there's a possibility we'll come to the party, and I get the feeling we'll be there. Nouns that sound awkward if you delete a that include fact, A phrase like, the fact Squiggly likes chocolate, is clear enough, but it sounds really awkward. When newspaper copy editors follow an overly zealous that-striking policy, we end up with clunky sentences, like these examples from Coca. Calvert Group removed contractors Titan Corp. and CACI International from its social index over allegations they were involved in abusing Iraqi prisoners. The Packers haven't drafted a quarterback despite rumors they were interested in doing so. Again, these sentences aren't wrong, but they would sound a lot better with that inserted after the nouns, allegations, and rumors. As with verbs, that deletion after a noun isn't always just awkward. Sometimes, it's confusing. The reason is that that can perform two functions after a noun. First, it can introduce a relative clause, also known as an adjective clause, as in, the rumor that Fenster heard. Second, it can introduce a clause that just explains what the noun is. For example, the rumor that Fenster started dyeing his hair. When that introduces a relative clause, it can usually be deleted, provided it's not the subject of the relative clause. In the rumor that Fenster heard— we can omit that and write, the rumor fenster heard. On the other hand, if that is introducing one of those explanatory clauses, it usually can't be deleted. If you do, the reader's likely to mistake what follows for a relative clause. If you remove the that from our second example, it starts out as, the rumor fenster started, which sounds just fine until the clause keeps on going, the rumor fenster started dyeing his hair and the reader realizes you're talking not about a rumor started by Fenster, but about a rumor to the effect that Fenster started dyeing his hair. When I read a sentence like that, it wastes my time because I end up rereading it and mentally inserting the missing that. It's another miscue, creating a garden path sentence. As with verbs and nouns, there are adjectives that tolerate that deletion pretty well and adjectives that don't. Common adjectives such as glad or sad sound fine without a that. For example, I'm glad you came, and we're sad you're leaving. But when they're less common with a more specific meaning, you're better off keeping the that. She's furious you never called would sound better with a that, and so would we're ecstatic you got the job. If you're a native English speaker, the main rule to follow here is to go by your ear. You probably know what sounds natural and what doesn't, and all you need to do is give that native speaker intuition more weight and authority than a rule stating that you should omit that whenever possible. If you're not a native speaker, I recommend keeping the that unless you're dealing with a verb, noun, or adjective that you know will sound good without it. It's safer to leave it in than to leave it out. As you write and read more, you'll identify more of the words that allow you to omit that. This segment was also written by Neil Whitman. It's a double Neil day. Remember, you can find him at literalminded.wordpress.com. And thanks for the great segments, Neil. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. I hope you all have a Happy New Year! I will have a show next week, but I'm also going to the Linguistics Society of America meeting in Utah for the first time, and I'm really excited because I'll get to meet many of my favorite linguists who I've only met online until now, and I'm hopeful that in a week or two after that, I'll have some interesting episodes for you talking about stuff I learned at the meeting. I'll also try to tweet from the meeting, so if you don't already follow me on Twitter, this might be a good time to start. My username there is just Grammar Girl. That's all. Thanks for listening. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.